Hello, Woodlane community. This is Pastor Brian, and you are listening to the Woodlane Worship Podcast, episode 014. If you are listening to this, you are an honorary member of our community where we seek to bring the presence of Christ to those around us. On this week's episode, have you ever noticed how every person gets the same amount of hours in a day, no matter what their role in life or how chaotic their to-do list looks? Hardly seems fair. Tasks and calendars can certainly make our focus go haywire. But there is a way through it. Maybe it'll even make you feel good at the end of a super busy day. And by the way, it has nothing to do with time management. Let's find out what it does have to do with. You ever have a day when it feels like your to-do list is running you instead of the other way around? You ever have a day when you wake up and you look at your calendar and you go, yeah, I'm going back to bed. You ever have a day that just feels like complete chaos and everything is going on and you're so, so busy and you finish the day and you're finally trying to take a breath after dinner or whatever and and go to bed and you're like, I didn't get anything done. Some days, some weeks, some seasons are like that. The church actually really just came out of one holy week coming up into Easter. Is there hope for times like that? Even just a glimmer. Is there some way to have focus when it feels like the world is just coming at you from every different direction? Dare I say yes. And it's fitting that this is all planned shortly after Holy Week because the truth is this was probably one of the most difficult Holy Weeks of the eight that I've done now so far. And so I'm going to have some really real-world ways that help me out to get through it. That might be able to help you to finish maybe a chaotic, busy day and maybe even feel good. Maybe to take a deep breath before you go to bed and think, wow, I got something important done today. So while we dive into a story that maybe you've heard, know that we're going to get incredibly practical with how it plays out. Because it is a problem that does not just reside in the first century biblical times. Let's pray. God, help us. Help us to see ourselves in the stories that you have in your word. And help us to be transformed by them. Amen. What passage can possibly cover a first world problem like focus? One straight out of Luke's gospel. Luke 10, verses 38 to 42. Now as they, Jesus and his disciples, went on their way, Jesus entered a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister named Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to what he was saying. But Martha was distracted by her many tasks. So she came to Jesus and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and distracted by many things. There is need of only one thing. Mary has chosen the better part, which will not be taken away from her. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Welcome as we continue our Easter series on focus on life and ADHD. Having crystal clear life when it feels like just everything is coming at us from all over the place. Now we have these two characters in this story, short as it may be, Mary and Martha. And at the outset, I want to say that this is not a Mary is good, Martha is bad, go forth to love and serve the Lord. Uh, It's not entirely that simple. 
Because both characters, Mary and Martha, are acting with noble intentions, with good intentions. So let's give Martha her day in court here. And it starts off right off the bat in verse 38. Now as they, Jesus and his crew, were on their way, he entered a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. The fact is, she didn't have to do it. And I'm guessing that Jesus didn't call ahead and make reservations. Hey, Martha, we're coming. Get the place ready. But as the disciples had lived, their kind of way of living is they would often stay in people's houses. And so Jesus is coming and probably had some of his entourage with him. And yet she's willing. And probably at the drop of a hat to open the door, say, welcome, come into my home. I expect Martha desired to be an excellent hostess for Jesus and his disciples. The truth is, a woman's reputation was often built on her ability to be a good hostess back then. And so if she's in a small town or a village, she better bring her A-game when guests come, because word's going to get around. She better get the meal just right, because you know what? There's no Salvatores or Subway to bail her out. Um, yeah, I just burned the falafels. I need a uh, Jesus-came-over meal package. Yeah, delivery, please. Thank you. One going to happen. Not that way. But the fact is, on top of that, on top of wanting to be a good hostess, even beyond the reputation on the line sort of thing, Martha, I believe, is a disciple and desires really to love and to honor Jesus with how she takes care of him and his friends, his disciples. Because though it's not written within the story, Mary is the sister of Lazarus. Lazarus is Jesus' good buddy. And so there's kind of a connection that you know, Jesus is visiting the siblings of a, of a good friend. And out of that connection, Martha wants to do well. And this is good. These are noble motivations that she is trying to give her best for Jesus. But the problem comes when she starts to get distracted by all the details. And her focus starts to get scattered around and trying to keep the pot boiling at the right temperature and this is cooking the right way and I better double check to make sure that's cooking the right way. And I can't call Salvatore, so i got to make sure all the, the place settings are right and everybody's happy. And she misses the chance to do better. What Mary gets, the chance to sit at Jesus' feet and spend time with him. The fact is, she settles for good. And what she does is good, is noble, when she could have had better. She settles for serving Jesus when she could have been with him. And even worse, worse than a missed opportunity, she starts to try and drag Mary into her frustration. She gets rattled because Mary is being lazy, sitting at Jesus' feet. Not helping her out with keeping the water boiling and keeping everything straight and keeping all the cooking right because she can't call Salvatore's. And then she tries to ring Jesus into the equation. Jesus, can't you see? I'm frantically trying to keep everything together and Mary is not doing anything. Tell her to help me. Tell her to be a good sister and help me out. And Jesus responds, there is need of only one thing. Mary has chosen the better heart, which will not be taken away from her. So how can we see our way through the problem that trips Martha up? Like I said, we're going to bring this 
really down to earth and get entirely practical with it, if that happens to be okay. Because like I said, this was probably one of the hardest Holy Weeks as far as chaos and everything going haywire that I have been through. So these are some of the things that actually got me through. I want to be able to share them with you so that when you have a day that's even, or a week that's even half as crazy, get something to be able to stay focused so you can finish your day and think, wow, I feel good and I got something worthwhile done. So practical number one, understand the tyranny of the urgent. There was a guy, Hummel, I believe, who said this back in the 60s, and other people have said it over time. But the idea is, going back to the story, that Jesus and his crew walk in, Mary welcomes them into the house, and all of a sudden everything is urgent. Everything is go, 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 go. It's like if I were to try and scream so that I can emphasize every word that I'm saying, you know how that turns out? Guess what? Nothing gets emphasized. Nothing stands out. Focus just goes to pot. Some things may be important, but they don't have to be done right away. They're not urgent. Urgent being, hey, my leg is broken. I need to get to the ER now. That's urgent. Or going to the hospital because you're having a heart attack. That's pretty urgent. I need to get the oil changed. Generally, it's important, but it can wait. And the trick is that it's up to you to declare what fits into what category. What is urgent? What do I need to do now? And what may be important, but can wait? Because if you don't declare it, the world's going to declare it for you. And the world will tell you everything is urgent. You've had the days when your boss comes in and says, I need this yesterday. Do this now. We need milk or the world is going to end. Basically, just think of the life of a teenage drama queen in full force. Welcome to the tyranny of the urgent. So here's a little bit of a tip that I learned that has helped me to kind of work some of this out. Finish the day before you start it. That sounds kind of backwards, but here's what I mean by that. Figure out the night before what is important that you have to get done. What do, you, what's, what do I need to get done tomorrow? So that when your feet hit the floor in the morning, you already know really what your day looks like. These are the things I'm going to get done, how I'm going to get them done. And you've got it figured out. So that the world doesn't tell you, hey, I need this done yesterday, and I need this done yesterday, and I need this done yesterday. Repeat ad nauseum. Practical number two. This is the one that really helped me, started helping me out during Holy Week. Not all hours are created equal. Here's the truth. Every single person in the world gets the same 24 hours a day. The single mom with three young kids gets the same 24 hours as the couple relaxing on the beach in Florida. Doesn't seem fair, but it is. Just the way it works. Einstein had the same 24 hours a day to do all that he did as we do. Time management only gets us so far because we can't give ourselves more hours in the day. The trick is not all those hours are created equal. I'm guessing you feel better. You feel more energized at certain parts of the day and at other parts of the day you're just dragging. Some parts you feel like a seven-year-old on a sugar rush at a birthday party. 
And other times of the day, you feel like you have an overweight family of elephants on your back. And where that works, which parts of the day you feel those kinds of ways, it varies from person to person. Some people are incredibly energetic at 5 in the morning. God bless you. And some people at 2 in the afternoon, some people at 11 o'clock at night. The trick is, figure out when you have the most energy. And then whatever it is that gives you energy, that fills you up, that you're good at, do that when you're at your best. Way to think of it. This is the way I learned it. Do what you're best at when you're at your best. We're going to see some of this in a little bit in our next steps. Here's an example. As I worked some of this out and tried to get myself and what I had to do sort of in sync with each other. I happen to be, now that I've been through all the midnight wake-ups and all that with three kids, I've somehow developed into a bit of a morning person. So doing creative stuff really fills me up. Doing writing, doing design, doing the studying or the reading for my writing and all that. And I'm really good at that. I'm really energetic about 8 to 12 in the morning. That's sort of my nice big window for that. So that is when I do all those things. If I get in the office at 8 o'clock and I start pounding out writing, I can just go and go and go and go and go. And I do my best work then. On the flip side, about 2 to 4 in the afternoon, you don't want to be anywhere in the same zip code as me. (laughs) Rachel and the kids know, because I usually have to pick them up about that time. I can't read for five minutes. I can't write a sentence. I try and write a sermon during that part of the time. You guys would tell me to switch things up, believe me. Because it would not be any good. So that's when I do the mind-numbing tasks. Things that don't give me energy. Pounding out numbers, spreadsheets, dealing with that I don't have to think real hard because I know I don't have a whole lot of energy to do it well. You try this. Try doing what you're best at when you're at your best. And the trick is, time will just fly. And before you know you'll be like, wow, it's 5 o'clock. And even in a crazy day, you'll be like, I did, had to do so many things and my calendar was so full and my to-do list was so long. But you'll feel good. Feel like, wow, I accomplished something. I did something. I got something done. Even in the midst of the chaos. Like I said, that's a big part of how I made it through Holy Week. Was taking, what am I best at? And when am I at my best? Getting them to sync up. So that all those messages that I had to write and compose and services I had to put together, if I did them while I was energized, I could get them done and make it through. So how do I turn this all into some next steps for everybody? For everybody. Zidane, so I'm kind of, kind of going to break this up a little bit. But for everyone, take some time this week and just try and figure out when you're at your best. For some people, again, that could be early in the morning. For some people... Afternoon, some people are night owls. Whatever it is, it's okay, just however it fits for you. Find out when you're at your best. Now, for the Christian, use a portion of that time to spend time with God. Whether that is doing, reading your Bible, doing a devotional, journaling, Bible study, prayer, use that best time, some of it at least, for God. Now, I know some people will make the case that your Bible study or your prayer should always be the first thing you do in the morning. And I won't argue too hard against that because the idea is then your day starts off with God and it goes well from there. Or that's the idea. But here's the thing. I know some people who are good people 
who would love to do all that sort of stuff, but their mantra is, don't talk to me until I have at least two cups of coffee in me. Maybe you know people like this. Maybe you are people like this. So let's play that out a little bit. Wake up, throw off the covers, feet at the floor. It's the first thing in the morning, so i got to do my prayer. God, don't talk to me till I got me some Tim Hortons. Let's start the day. Imagine how that prayer is going to get answered. So I make the case, give God your best, whenever that is. The trick is, write that in. Put it in your calendar. Because when you're doing what you're best at, when you're at your best, time is going to fly. And before you know it, you're going to be four hours through your best time. You'll be like, wow, I got so much done, but I didn't spend any of that time with God. So write it in. Now, for the non-Christian, same idea. But I realize that Jesus and the Bible and prayer and all that sort of stuff may not be real big in a non-Christian's life. I get that. But if you're listening to this, you're obviously giving them their day in court. So whenever you find that your best time is, try giving Christianity five minutes of it. And if you're having a hard time and you walk in, even if you are a Christian, start here. Five minutes of your best time. And my suggestion would be, read one chapter out of a gospel. I'd probably recommend the gospel of John. But anyone will do. And I, as a Christian, will believe God will work through that. But just five minutes. And then give your best to whatever is important to you. If family is important, then try to schedule doing some family things while you're at your best. If it lines up that one of your I'm best at this time is fits while you're at work or something like that or at a volunteer place, if there's a part of your job that you're best at and you really enjoy doing it and it energizes you, do it during that time. So you, you finish off the work day and you're like, wow, I got something done. But this is a way of taking the gifts that God gives you, whether you believe God gave you the gifts or not, and doing your best with them, doing good with them. I believe that pleases God. That's a way of honoring God. Again, whether you believe God gave you the gifts or not. And the neat thing is, it leads to a pretty fulfilling day on top of it. Thanks be to the God who gives us time, who gives us breath and gives us energy to enjoy it and to work through it. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the Woodland Worship Podcast. I hope we've given you something to make you think. If you'd like some more information about our community, check us out at woodlanechurch.org or visit our Facebook page at Woodlane Newark. If you happen to be in the Finger Lakes area, come check us out live on a Sunday morning at 9.45 a.m. On next week's episode, do you lock your doors at night? If so, why? My first guess, you value security in your life. We all do. But sometimes finding security can give us laser focus in the wrong direction. Where does real security come from? Find out next week on the Woodlane Worship Podcast.